and we are watching long zoom loading thing and we are live let's go Jesus, that were a bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to reveal that. No, I've, nobody I've got, else knows. I, I've got, I've it's, got to. <laughs> it's the trade secrets. This is all planned. Because I look, I look flustered now and, <laughs> and sweaty, and and none of that went right. I've got yeah. a webcam. It didn't work, and now I'm sat here using my cheaper webcam that somehow looks better than the other webcam that I've spent loads of money on. Other than the fact that I look really pale, yeah. uh, and. Yeah. Anyway, so hello, hello, Kieran. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, having a yeah, I'm good. I'm per- persevering, you know, staying positive despite the seeming madness going on in the world. So, are you at university right now? Uh, yeah, I'm at Zoom, Zoom University, uh, as it were. So all my classes are online, um, all remote. So you know, it adds a different challenge, and it's a different you know, take on things, but it's fine, you know, persevering, managing all right. Are you, are you locked in the university? Are you in the halls of residence or, or whatever? No, I'm back home. So I was down um, near the campus because at the start they were looking quite hopeful for getting some students in. And then within a couple of weeks, it seemed, I mean, I don't know why they didn't predict this. You know, you send a bunch of first years into halls and then all of a sudden there's an outbreak. Who would have thought it? Um, and so, yeah, they, they announced they weren't going to be any, any, um, on-campus teaching for this semester and probably not next semester. So, um, I headed back home. Okay. And, and how's it been working remotely? Okay. It's been all right. It's, it's obviously it's, so it's a one year masters that I'm doing. So I've got no sort of, it's not like I've got previous years to compare to. Obviously I did my undergrad, but you know, I wouldn't know how this course would operate normally. Um, it's, I definitely think it's a, a more limited experience or a less good experience because it's a creative course, creative advertising. So there's a lot of partnership work and there's a lot of collaboration. And obviously you can still do that over Zoom. That's obviously fine. But I think in person, it's obviously as everyone who's ever correct. Uh, col- collaborated on anything <laughs> knows um, they're just that sort of connection and that sort of bounce of ideas when you're in person with somebody um, it's just infinitely better yeah that that's the thing that we really struggled with when everything locked down the first time and there's only there's only five of us in our agency but it was it was weird to try and work remotely on creative stuff and you because you just need you need the instant feedback and you feel weird trying to pester somebody when they're working on something else. You feel weird trying to pester them to to work with you on your thing. It feels kind of selfish and, I don't know, it, it's, it's a bit weird. So, yeah, we, we struggle with that as well at first. Yeah, I can imagine a workplace where so many times, it, you know, it's like a small issue or a small question you just want to ask and you just want to need a quick reply. It's not something big you're looking for, but just that effort of, you know, you don't have that, you know, you just pass somebody's desk and say, Hey X, what about, you know, this problem? But now, cause it's at home, that's a whole email. And for some reason, 
and it is fair enough because you don't want to be sending your emails all day just you know refreshing waiting for people to come in so it's like you've got to wait for something big before you can even contact someone because you don't want to just bother them by email with like a tiny question yeah yeah that that's kind of well when everything started easing we went back into the office and now okay. and now there's five of us in the office and we're kind of thinking do do we split up again do we all go to our houses do we come in the two of us or three of us come in when we need to even though the whole national lockdown thing oh not a lockdown national restrictions what yes. um even though that comes in on thursday we're still quite undecided as to what we're going to do because it's i found it difficult to be productive from home i don't i don't mm. know how you're finding it but for for me i've got a really cool setup at home and it, it to be honest it's probably better than my setup at work but <laughs> it's it's just easier to work in in the office and i don't know why but i always struggle with that i think it's that mental shift that people have of having that separate workplace and then home space and trying to get you know how do you get into that workflow and into that work mindset when you're you know even if you've got a dedicated room for it obviously that helps but i think even still just that physical change of location in the same way that you know most people go to the gym and when they're going to the gym they're like okay i'm at the gym i'm going to work out if they're at work they're like okay i'm at work i'm working but if they're at home and you know you go through to the kitchen your normal kitchen for lunch and you you get your stuff you're not it's just harder to really lock into that sort of work mindset i think that's what a lot of people have been struggling with and trying to be productive at home and um anyone that does work at home normally i think um everyone's like okay we were you know we'd be a lot more respect than we had for you before yeah i, I started to get used to it towards the end and then the whole thing eased and we went back to the office again and it was like really weird to try and get used to working in an office again and then i've spent three or four months getting used to working in an office and <laughs> and now we've kind of got to, got to go home again um so so yeah it, it it's weird and I, I don't know how it's gonna go anyway i don't want to spend ages talking about lockdown because people are already sick of hearing about it anyway yes yeah it's definitely been covered i think yeah <laughs> um so you so you're doing a master's then yeah so you you've already been to uni for three years four four in scotland yeah oh is it four in scotland yeah so they give you that extra year of intelligence in scotland then absolutely not no they just give you first years basically a skive <laughs> um, so no, the first like stuff doesn't matter until third year so um one of the early years of students obviously figured that one out and passed that one on to every future generation. So when you get into first year, you think, oh God, university, you know, you know, teachers, mom and dad, so this is going to be really tough. And you get there, it's stuff you've just done at school. And all the fourth year students are like, oh, first year, like, don't even revise for your exams. So don't worry about it. Don't go to your lectures, just have a blast. So we just get an extra year. We get like a free year of socializing and then we have our three-year degree. So it's basically the same. Oh, is that how it works? So they know yeah, that the first year is pointless, so they give you yeah. three years of real learning. Yeah. Well, there you go. So They've, they've figured it out, to be honest. It's, it's yeah. a good system. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so what So what did you do for the four years at university, and why did you pick creative advertising? So I did accounting as my undergrad, which is just <laughs> hell. Yeah, I can, I can see you laughing already, yeah. Um, it's just, oh, it is, the stereotype and the memes all add up. It's, it is as dull as people think it is. It really is. Um, I don't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school, so I just, you know, picked something, did that for four years, um, hated it, took a year out, worked, saved up, and then went into 
advertising. I've always had this sort of interest in behavioral economics and then that turned into sort of general psychology. Then psychology turned into sort of um, behavioral science and then its applications into advertising, which led into it. So it's just sort of a, a slow sort of burn into figuring out that advertising was sort of my calling or um, what I was really passionate about. And since I've started the course and, you know, making ads and obviously like the sort of last year where I've been sort of quite focused on it, um, I've, I've loved it. Like it's, it's absolutely the, the whole cliche of what you're meant to do, but it's absolutely like it's, you know, what's worked someone else's play to you. And like it, it absolutely is. But how did you find advertising after doing accounting for four yeah, years? Yeah, <laughs> um, I read, well, I listened to Rory Sutherland on the Modern Wisdom podcast. Oh, I love Rory Sutherland, he's amazing. He, I mean, I could talk about Rory Sutherland until the cows come home, I've got, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's the man. Um, so I, I listened to uh, listened to him on there, thought, what guy? Obviously watched his TED Talks, which pretty much everyone's seen. Then went out and bought his book, um, Alchemy. I'm not sure if you have you read it. Um, I'm about halfway through it. It's a brilliant book. Yep. It's just phenomenal. I I think I've read it through four or five times. I always go back and reference it. Like if you ever get stuck, um, in no matter what you're doing, anything sort of creative or anything, um, just read that, and it just sparks off so many ideas. Like it's just, um, yeah, it's a great book. So I read that, and then, um, in all these books, and this is like one of the greatest life hacks that I learned is. If you don't know, if you want to find a book similar to a book you like, just read the blurb, like not the blurb, the um, read the, the recommending readings. Every author reads. This is where I got my inspiration from. And if you just read those books, there's another gold mine to go into. Then you read one of the books in there, and it's just like you never, you can never stop. You just always got the best book recommendations from authors who you love, and it's just like, I mean, that's a great life hack. Um, but yeah, so I read Rory, read a few other books, and was like, yeah, advertising's there, the one. I know, I know in, in the back of This Is Marketing uh, by Seth Godin, he's got a mm. huge recommended list. Yeah, his is a little bit too long. You need, you need a balance. Like, you need, like, a, I mean, more than 10, but not his is, yeah, it's like every book in advertising ever. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's, like, a legal thing. He's trying not to be sued for any ideals, ideas stolen. So he's just credited everyone ever <laughs> in a way to save his own back. I'm not sure. So I guess, have you delved into Ogilvy's books yet? Uh, yeah, Ogilvy on advertising. It's like the seminal book that everyone says to read. It, it's a little bit more copywriting focused, mm. um, but I mean, yeah, it's pretty good. I, have you read the Boren letters as well? I've not. I've I've just started reading that. It's um, a, a lot of them are free online. Actually, uh, what what's the website? It's it's Gary Halbert's letters, basically. Uh, let me look this up while we're here. So the book is called The Boren Letters, and the way that Boren is spelled, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, it's B-O-R-O-N. So Boren or, or Boren. Um, and basically Gary Halbert went to prison, and it's the books, that, it's the letters that he wrote to his son every single day while he was in prison, and it's the it's the letters that he wrote to him every single day and the the Boren letters is I guess it's the best of uh, as far as I understand it um, and they're not just about advertising although there's there's a ton of lessons about advertising and copywriting he is a copywriter um, right okay that makes more sense yeah but <laughs> the, there's a there's a ton of life lessons in there and, and already when I, f- I first started reading it I think the first story that he talks about in there is this idea of road work 
So he, he calls it road work, and he's, he's trying to teach his son to live a better life. And he says, every single day, you should do one hour of road work, and that's basically going for a walk for one hour or going for a run for one hour, basically being outside for an hour and walking or running down the road. And I was like, I've never heard it put like that, but I really like the concept. And every single letter is pretty short and every single letter is like that. It's got kind of some kind of revelatory idea in there that's probably something you've heard of before, but just the way that he says it is just brilliant. Um, and then at the end of each chapter, it's, it's got his son's interpretation of what he said. So sometimes that might mean that uh, in the chapter, Gary's said, I don't know, um, eat healthy for, your rest of, for the rest of your life or whatever, or eat an apple a day or something. And then his son chimes in at the end of it say, saying something like, well, my dad was horrifically unhealthy for his entire life. So he, he kind of frames, he frames the advice, which is a really interesting way of seeing it. Because you don't, you don't often see that, do you? You read a self-development book or whatever, and you don't really know if they actually preach what they practice. So, yeah, it's worth reading. It's, it's short, and it's a nice read. Um, and it, it's a very different book <clears throat> from, from someone who's a legend in copywriting. So, so you're more interested in the advertising side than... Yeah, so it's more of the yeah more actual adver- adverts in a sort of traditional media sense than um, the sort of uh, copywriting sort of the new sort of era of copy online money making freelance copywriting. It's more like agency work for making adverts, making campaigns, and so on. Mm. I absolutely love advertising, and I think if I wouldn't have ended up being a designer, I probably would have been some kind of ad man. I probably would have yeah. been like a classic 1960s ad man. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah, that, that's like, that's the greatest marketing for marketing. It's just mad men. <laughs> like watch that show and tell me you don't want to be in advertising. Yeah. I, I just, like, if it's 10% of what mad men was, like it'll be great. I just, I just love all just old adverts, basically just the craft that used to go into old adverts. And I really love kind of adverts from the thirties and the fifties and things like that, where they actually wrote, a whole load of text in them you, you know mm. they're really clever ideas but there might be paragraphs and paragraphs of text in them and there's just so many classic examples like that and just so many clever ideas as well uh the book that i read most recently oh my god his name slipped out of my head can't believe it it's a really short book really small he's a really famous advertiser dave trot no he i think he's from new york I'm pretty pretty sure. Oh, I can't remember his name. It, it'll come to me. But the book's really short, and it, it's his his creative lessons on advertising and copywriting and things. Burnback. Like no. No. Anyway. Ah, oh, bloody hell! I can't remember it. <laughs> it's got a really cool title as well, and it's a really cool book, and people would enjoy reading it. But I can't remember. I'll I'll find it hopefully before the end of the episode. Um. But it's it's again a really cool book, a really a really short and easy read, um, and and I think a lot of advertisers who write books tend to mess with the format of writing a book a little bit more than yes other people might do, like the Ogilvy on advertising and and the other Ogilvy books as well are not like just classic boring books; they're actually quite interesting to read. 
yeah, I think they, yeah, they use the sort of the ideas from advertising or the sort of concept, but also like they, you know, if you spend a life in advertising, the last thing, you know, you're not painting a very good picture of yourself if the book you write is just like every other book and it's dead boring, or not boring, but it's, you know, that same sort of methodical structure. They want to show how creative they are and, you know, mix up the structure and so on. So that makes, sort of makes sense. I presume you've read scientific advertising as well. I've not actually. It's a really old book from, I think it's 1931. Yeah, it's, it's 1930. Oh. oh, no, sorry, 1923. I'm just looking at it right now. Jeez. It's, it's by a guy called Claude Hopkins. Um, Hopkins. And he's talking, he's introducing this idea of scientific advertising because obviously way back then, people weren't thinking about A-B testing adverts or, you know, anything scientific you can think to do with an advert. People were just making adverts and running them. And the book is a lot about looking at things a little bit more objectively when it comes to advertising and so and some of it's obviously out of date now the ideas in there because it's 1923 (laughs) but but surprisingly a lot of it is really really current still which is crazy Mm. when you think i mean yeah it's 100 years old yeah yeah I, i love um lindy books like that where you read it um i was recently reading um well walden by Henry through and um, of good and evil by Frederick Nietzsche. And like some of the stuff they say there, like, you know, they're talking about society and like, they're quite critical books about society, but they're talking about how people behave. And this is in, I think Walden wrote this in the 1840s, yeah. some point near that anyway. Um, and it's like, nothing's changed. It's 160 years later, 180 years later, we've got social media. We've got like, computers that they nobody had even thought of yet now exist in our pockets like the, the the difference in society between then and now is i mean you can't even begin to like sort of compare them and yet humans still behave the exact same way yeah and i just think that's great you read stuff and you're like yep yeah, that holds true in 2020 and the guy wrote it 200 years ago yeah and there's some stuff in there that seemed to be about social media even though it didn't exist yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just insane yeah yeah, and that's always the best books when they're they're timeless like that, and they're not, you know, just commentaries on the time. They're commentaries of on human on humans and humanity. Yeah, I, I've I've had um, I've had Walden on my list to read for a really long time. I've just still not got around to it yet. Yeah, it's good. It's it makes you well. Yeah, after reading that, um, you'll you'll just won't want to buy anything ever again. If you've got an Amazon shopping <laughs> habit, like just read Walden and you'll be, you'll be cured. Like he makes you literally never want to buy another pair of jeans. Like, you know, he's got a whole like four page rant basically about how stupid clothes are and how like he makes it a great point of if a man has a hole in his trousers, he would sooner walk down the street with no trousers than with the, trousers with a hole in it obviously nowadays that's the sort of style but you know okay say a hole in, a hole in your t-shirt you'd sooner walk down the street with nothing on than with a hole in a t-shirt how absurd that is and i mean obviously this is 180 years ago and still people are as cautious um you know conscious about fashion and whatever else and like yeah it just makes you never want to buy anything again i, I, w- I once heard a thought experiment that's a little bit similar to that 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 talked about um, it, it was about valuables and, 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 you know, not being too materialistic. And the thought experiment was if nobody else on the planet existed, so imagine you're the only person left, 
would you still go out and spend 200 quid on a pair of jeans or would you just wear whatever's in your whatever's in your wardrobe the first thing that comes out if there's nobody else left in the planet and there's nobody to impress what would you wear and what would you do yeah and it'd be the closest thing to you wouldn't it yeah yeah anything you can get your hands on well i mean okay you might still go for something made by a brand or whatever because you know it's going to last but it wouldn't be like that the top end it would be like you know somewhere in the middle where it's not cheap and gonna break but not overly priced for the sake of i don't know what yeah yeah you just you'd buy something that's probably gonna last but you wouldn't buy it for the status and the the truth is that the you know nearly i'd say you know 95 99 percent of everything we buy is for the status even if we tell ourselves it isn't for the status yeah Yeah, there's a great book called the elephant in the brain have you ever read it or heard of it really good book so um basically breaking down or talking about how every time we do something there's two reasons why we do it there's the reason we tell ourselves and there's the actual reason we do it so you know and this is exactly what we're on about here like you know you'll tell yourself oh i'm just buying this because you know i like the pattern of it or i'm buying it because oh i i trust this brand and i know it won't break but the elephant in the brain and the true reason behind it is you know about the status that it's going to signal and you want that status signaling thing um yeah i mean that's another thing the ones you read the elephant in the brain you just sort of you know you find yourself just sat in the kitchen like what do I want to eat? Why do I think I want to eat this? Why do I, like you just end up in a, you get quite bad. You just end up in a spiral of just questioning your own thoughts nonstop. But it's uh, it's a really really good book. I would definitely recommend reading that. Yeah, it it it, it is a bit of a weird thought pattern to get into because it, it's it's not bad in and of itself to enjoy something. You know that's the whole point of life. Yeah. You, you can't, uh, and whether it be that food or be that clothes or be that experiences or friends or or drinking a beer or whatever it is, none of those things by themselves are inherently bad. And you you get to the point where you read something like that and you you're questioning, do I want to do this for right the right reason? And then you just like just going into a circle of, well, yeah. I I should just be eating eggs in, instead of getting pizza. <laughs> Or, yeah or whatever oh and by the way i found the book the book okay. the book is damn good advice by george lois is george okay. lois george lois is the guy he was oh, um uh, he was one of the guys who influenced don draper in admin so yeah. uh, oh, sorry in madman okay. um because don draper was basically based on like five or six different ad men and and one of them was George Lois. He was he was a renegade basically. I think he's still alive and if he's not alive he's he's only recently just died. Yeah, just... Um and he's he was always seen as a renegade and the book Damn Good Advice is a really short book. Not much text but it it's basically just it's kind of rules of how he sees things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um the same as you, as you were saying with uh, Alchemy by Rory, Rory Sutherland, that book's perfect to pick up if you're not sure about something. You just pick it up and just flick to a page, and it's yeah. just it's just full of great advice. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. It's only six quid as well at the minute. Can't scoff at that. Yeah, um, 
Here's one of them. Number 67. Any great creative idea should stun momentarily. It should seem to be outrageous. And then he's got a tiny little bit of explanation and then he's got an example of one of his uh, Esquire covers that he did where okay. where he uh, it's, it's a shot of Muhammad Ali with his hands behind his back and his head's slightly to the side. He's basically meant to look like Jesus on the cross and he's got loads of arrows stuck inside him. And they uh, they did that for a cover of Esquire in the 60s. So he was kind of always trying to push the boundaries with things and and that's where that's where he came from uh it, you know just pushing and pushing and pushing and seeing where he could get to so there's yeah. a, there's a load of stuff in the, uh, there that's kind of bluster and things like that always saying i think one of them is something like always say no or something like that or i'm pretty sure one of the chapters yeah. is say fuck you more or something like that <laughs> yeah. um, there's always one like ridiculous chapter there's like okay yeah i mean it sounds great as the name of a chapter and the idea yeah fine but like if you're working in an office with other people <laughs> you can just never follow this rule <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so when you so when you finish i guess you you go when are you going to be finishing next year it'll be, yeah, it'll be next sort of august september time do you know what you're going to do do you want to go work for an agency yeah, ideally try and land a job at um, one of the top agencies in London is the is the plan. Um, I mean, the best agencies in the world seem to be, exist in London, so um, I've got noticed. So yeah, then to London, it's all about your book. So the sort of degree itself doesn't matter at all. Nobody cares what your grade is. You know, it's I mean, like a lot of things in life, nobody actually cares about what your grades you get. It's all about what you can do. Um, so you go down there with your book, you show them your portfolio, what you can do, and then have a little chat. And if they like you, they give you, I think it's usually about a year internship just to sort of try you out. And if you're no good, you'll be gone. And if you're good enough, you'll get to stay. So it's a pretty cutthroat industry where you are pretty much only as good as your last campaign was. Uh, You just got to continually be improving and creating good stuff or you'll be pretty quickly out the door. Um, But I mean, that's Dave Trott's got a great book called Predatory Thinking, which I'm currently almost finished making my way through uh, and he talks about like this competitive nature this is what creates greatness I and mean, you look at it in sport you know all the best athletes wouldn't be the best athletes you know would ronaldo hit heights ronaldo hits without messi right behind him and you know all these other sports where there's a guy you know pushing each other that's what creates greatness and he he sees that we're some in some places we're moving away from that sort of competitiveness and advertising um and he doesn't like that he likes the idea of you know, two firms competing or two teams within a firm competing for a, um, for the work. That's what creates the best advertising, knowing that down the corridor, you know, your colleagues are also working on this exact same brief. That's making you go, no, that's not good enough. Let's make it better. And that's, which I love. I love that sort of competitive nature of it. I, th- I think not just in advertising, we're losing that in a lot of things. In, mm. in just just generally in, in life with there isn't, there isn't always... A reason to be competitive and it isn't often rewarded in in some some places uh, mm. and if and if you are overly competitive it's seen as a negative uh, even if you do it respectfully and things like that so yeah it, it i i kind of agree with the whole idea of competitive competitiveness and i'm always I spoke about this on the last on the last podcast. I'm always looking to improve in some way and and do something better than I used to do, and I've always got somebody in mind who's just a little bit ahead of me, because it helps yeah. me improve. 
but a lot of people kind of have that trained out of them to not to not feel like that yeah it's it sadly seems to be um the way we're going unfortunately um chris williams i don't even know if you're aware of the modern wisdom podcast chris williamson's the host there and uh he's just got this, this great thought he's mentioned a couple of times which is um, the worst thing in your life is when it could be if you met the version of yourself that you could be and you see everything that you've, so like everything you've, everything you could have become. I, I imagine, I just love that image of imagine walking down the street one day and it's just like this, this mega you just walks up to you and is like, what are you doing? Like, look how much better than you I am. I, you could have been me. You were just lazy and you know, you didn't put in the work and oh, you slept in this day. And I love like, even when it's, so there, you know, that you can't call that unhealthy, you know, you're competing with yourself. But even that just sort of like mental push of like, you know, you could be better. Don't, you don't want to meet, you know, mega you and be absolutely terrible. You want to at least, you know, try and be as, as good a version of yourself as you can. Yeah, I love that concept. I've never heard him talk about that. That's mm. that, that's brilliant, terrifying, and brilliant. At the same <laughs> yeah, time. absolutely. Yeah, but it, yeah, that definitely keeps you on your toes to to think like that. One one two things I wanted to talk to you about, and I think we'll get onto mental models as well because I said we were going to talk about it, and also productivity. But one one thing I want to mention is, well, first, first thing. So I notice you've got a website. And I and I'm always curious about, you know, people who have got websites and why they've got a website. And I noticed that you write on there as well. And yes, pretty regularly. I was just curious. Every, to, every Sunday, small plug. Every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah. So, why is it part of you? So the first question to ask, I guess, is: Do you have to do it as part of your course? Yeah. No. No. So then, why do you do it? Why do you maintain a website and why do you write every Sunday? Um, a number of reasons. I read um, Nat Eliason's got a great blog post, ironically, about why everyone should have a blog. And, you know, there's so many things about there about... I um, also read Austin Cleon's book, Show Your Work, which is all about learning, sort of learning in public and sharing what you know and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, there's literally a million things on the internet that push you to do these sorts of things. Um the other great thing about writing is whenever you write about a topic, you learn it so much better. Like you can, you know, say you revise or, you know, you can read a book or you can think, you know, a topic, but until you have to articulate in your own words and explain to another person or, you know, the internet about a topic, you don't really understand it. Like when you sit down to write, you know, somebody could ask you, you know, do you know about, you know, whatever topic and you be like, yeah, of course I do. And they'd be like, okay, write me, write me a blog post about it. And you sit down and you're like, I really don't, know this but when the process of writing something is learning in itself so as much as i'm writing for other people i'm also writing for myself but then the other element of it is um this idea of a serendipity vehicle so i don't write with a, a goal in mind or with a purpose in mind obviously if anyone comes across, i'd love you know people to be interested or hear about an effect goal oh, god I wonder what that is or i wonder how that could relate to advertising or marketing and then find my blog and th- find it super interesting. Of course, that's the, that's the dream, but there's no like, you know, it's not about monetization. It's not about, oh, I'm going to use this in the future for X, Y, and Z. It's just creating, not for creating sake, but creating just to see what happens. You never know who could find it. A future employer could find it or somebody could find it, read it, love it, and then find out more about you and offer you a job. Like you, the, the way the internet works at the moment and the way 2020 and the world works is like, you know, you never know where the next opportunity is going to come from. You never know where the next 
anything could come from. It's all just like if you increase your surface area for serendipity and you the more things you create, the more chance you have of, you know, exciting things happening happening, meaningful things happening. Like this podcast, if I'd never signed up to Twitter and tweeted, found you, and then you'd never, you know, it's a million things that have to go right. But by tweeting more, you and following more people, you find more people. By more people following you, they share it with more people, more people find you. Like it all spreads just by create the more you create, the bigger service area you create. And then, you know, great things, you know, serendipity, good things can happen. Without having a goal in mind, you can just like create in the hope that something happens, but with no expectation as well. Oh, you, you, you're a man after my own, own heart. That's exactly the way, <laughs> I, way I see it as well. I think a serendipity vehicle is a really good way to put it, other than it being difficult to say. But it's, yeah. it's <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. I do the podcast. There's no money behind it. I'm not bothered about the figures. I'm not bothered mm. about how many people listen to it. It's the opportunity to speak to people to have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. who I'd never get the chance to have a conversation with unless yeah. that unless there's kind of a reason behind it and the reason is well let's talk on my podcast and yeah. it's it's a perfect thing to hide behind not that I'm shy but it's a perfect, yeah, I know, yeah it's a perfect thing to hide behind to give you an excuse to have a conversation with somebody um and that I really love that about podcasting. But the the writing thing again is is exactly the same. It gives you the opportunity to make connections with people that you wouldn't get the chance to do. It is all it is all about putting yourself out there and and not not caring that the work might not be perfect. Uh, and building in public, absolutely. And for you, having that resource that you've got online will immediately put you ahead of everybody else because i can guarantee 80 90 percent of the other people won't have it and if they do have it they won't have a blog and they won't have been writing about it for a year and then as soon as it it comes to they look at your website and they look at your work and if the only differentiator is that both of the pieces of work are the same but you're writing about it as well instantly puts you ahead yeah, I mean, I think it's something that probably helped even my application into this course. Yeah. It's, and as you say, it's that proof of, the proof of interest and the proof of work. So I said about the 18-month thing. So I'm sure, I don't, my course isn't like this, but I'm sure there's plenty of courses where towards the end of the course, they maybe encourage you to write a blog or, you know, write about your experience or whatever. But I've been doing this before I even got into this course. So it's proof of, you know, I've not just like one day woke up and decided, oh, you know what, advertising is a good laugh. Let's go into that. <laughs> like I've clearly got this passion, this interest, I will give up my free time, spend my evenings researching, you know, French philosophers. Like my, my, my post on Sunday was on the Diderot effect. Um, so I read all about the life and times of Denis Diderot, French philosopher in the 1700s. And that's why, that's how I spent my uh, Friday afternoon. Like, yeah. so, but you've got to have that. You wouldn't do that unless you really cared about something or were really passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, serendipity is the best way of putting it. And I've got the perfect example I've been using Twitter for 12 years and I only started writing intentional tweets in February. When Mm -hmm. I started writing intentional tweets in February, I discovered Visualize Value and Jack Butcher. I joined joined the Visualize Value community, which led me to be introduced to Justin Michaelay, which is another guy that's on on, on Twitter and also within... 
think I follow him. Yeah, he he basically takes other people's tweets and writes them in in a big list of he. I'm I'm really underselling him here when I say that. He, <laughs> he, t- he takes people's last three thousand tweets, rewrites them yes. into a big list of big ideas, basically. So I discovered him. We got chatting. He liked my podcast. I haven't had him on my podcast yet, but I will at some point. Um, he liked my podcast. We got chatting. I kept encouraging him to make something out of these big ideas, things that he was doing. Because I'm like, man, these these are way better than just an email, a blog, and a Twitter thread. I want to help you make them into something. So, you know, let's work together on something. And I just kept pestering him and pestering him, saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. And then eventually, it's turned 180 degrees on its head that now me, Justin, and Matthew Kobach are working on something together. And that's the only way the internet and me tweeting was the only way that that happened. And it's the perfect example of serendipity. I've never, never met Matthew Kobach. I've never met Justin Michael A. And we all somehow got together to all work on something together, which is probably going to be pretty cool. It gets released at Christmas-ish. Well, it's very, I mean, you talk about serendipity. Um, um, I had Matthew come and talk to my class today, an, an hour ago. Uh, um, <laughs> I just DM'd him out the blue. He was asking for um, ads for Fast, obviously, for Christmas. Yeah. And I said, um, if you come talk to our class, we'll make you some ads. And he said, like, don't worry about it. I'll come talk to you anyway. I'll, I'll give you a Q&A. So, yeah, five o'clock tonight, uh, Matthew was just literally just on Zoom with me and my class. So I, <laughs> that's just I love when stuff like that happens. Just great um, moments of like sort of crossovers you don't expect. Um, yeah, so, but my, I mean like, you know, what, what a lovely guy to come and spend an hour of his morning with, you know, 19 students for, you know, no benefit of his own in private. You know, nobody knew about it. He wasn't doing it for any sort of mm. public acclaim. He just did it out of the goodness of his heart. Um, and that shows he's a really great guy. And he spoke just brilliantly on so many topics, answered every question openly, um, you know, shared things about fast and their sort of direction. You know, he wasn't sort of, oh, can't talk about X, Y, Z. Like he was just fully open um, and he was he was absolutely fantastic. And again, as you said about serendipity, that I've never met Matthew. I don't know him personally at all. I just sent him one DM out of the blue. Yeah. Um, he said, yes, we DM back and forth. And then all, all of a sudden he's talking to my entire class. It's awesome. And, he's, and he is an awesome guy. And that is one of, the huge advantages of this year that everybody's gone digital everybody's gone online everybody gets zoom now and it means you're only one dm away from getting a huge person to come and talk to you and that is truly amazing yeah i think the the zoom revolution of 2020 has helped us so much because now you know before even still for students you know if you want somebody to come and talk you might have to be like oh you know come into our university and talking people maybe a bit more averse to doing it online now everything's online yeah. people will talk to anyone anywhere yeah. because everything's online so it doesn't matter and i think like of all the i guess there's been some negatives this year but like there's there's definitely been a lot of positives too yeah i i've never talked to so many people from all around the world in six months and it's been amazing because you just get different perspectives on life and and just cultures and the way that they do things it's been absolutely amazing. I've absolutely loved it. And I think you're the first, <laughs> I, w- I was going to call you British then, 
Ja, ja. It's fine. I mean, yeah, British Isles, yeah. <laughs> You're the first person from who's near me in the UK. There we go. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. English. English person. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely pushing it now. I'll get the Scotland flag out and go for that again. <laughs> yeah, you're you're the closest person to me that I've spoken to. You know, we we yeah. might be like 300 or 400 miles away from each other and everybody else has been thousands and thousands yeah. of miles away. It's insane. Hmm. But like that's that's the great thing about tour. You can make friends around the world. You can share ideas with people in, you know, India, Singapore, Australia, the other side of the world. Like it's great. And and for I don't know, yeah, I guess you know, Instagram is still quite insular in which you only really follow your friends and celebrities. And obviously Facebook is totally insular. It's literally just people you know from high school and it's, you know, that's why nobody goes on Facebook anymore. But Twitter, especially if you use Twitter in the right way, it, I feel it's like the most worldwide of all the platforms. Like you don't just follow, I mean, I don't follow any of my friends from school because, you know, it's not interesting what they have to say. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's it feels the most global and the most sort of interactive yeah. of all the social medias. It's, it's definitely that. And it's, if you're on Twitter and using it the right way, it levels up your life like like no other platform because you're tuning in to people's amazing ideas every single day and brainwashing yourself with them. And it's mm. really, In, really in a good powerful. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's really powerful. You if, mm. if you follow the right people and use it the right way, there isn't another platform like that. It is where the interesting thinkers go. Absolutely. I think it was, might have been David Perel. Somebody had a tweet quite recently. See, I always forget because it's someone I follow, but quite a few of them speak and talk with the same sort of thing. Anyway, and it was like, if you pitch this idea, like, okay, we're going to build a platform where for free, the world's best thinkers, like CEOs of companies, innovators, like you've got Elon Musk, you've got the president of the United States, like everyone, like the best thinking people and the president of the United States, no, he's not that bad, um, are going to just share their thoughts with the world for free. And they're like, okay, how much is the subscription? Like, you know, thousands of pounds a month. Like it's free. You can just log in and you can like get the latest thoughts from the leading people in pretty much any field. Like no matter what your field is, no matter what your niche, your um, niche is, like whatever you're interested, there's hundreds of people at the top level of your field sharing what they're doing, what they're working on, like what they think about the world for free. And you can just, you know, you can just sit there with your popcorn as you watch two great thinkers of the world having a conversation, and it's free. And what's even great. what's even cooler about it is often their unfiltered thoughts as well. They're, mm. they're not they're not like pre prepared PR statements or anything. It's not like they've had an interview on TV. Yeah. It is. I mean, Donald Trump's the first person to do it as a U.S. president, but yeah. it is literally his unfiltered thoughts, for better or worse. But yeah. And it's the same with Elon Musk as well. It's literally his unfiltered thoughts. And there isn't another platform anywhere where you get such an unedited version of a person and you get to see them how they are and you see their thoughts in the rawest way. It's super powerful, super powerful. I don't don't think, excuse me, I don't think it's always been like that. Not for me at least anyway. And I remember when I first started using it, 12 years ago it my my community of people on it were very near to me 
locally. So the the geography of it, when I first started using it, it felt very close and it was people who I knew near me who, who were doing similar things to me. I still didn't I still didn't kind of follow friends that weren't doing things the same as me, so it, it still had the same effect. But now, in 2020, I'm following people from all around the world and, and having DM conversations with people from all around the world. And, it, and if you aren't taking advantage of that in 2020, you just, you're just doing life wrong. Yeah. Simple as that. So we had... <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. We had mental models written down. I didn't yeah, write yeah. anything more down about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many places you can go. Where, where do you want to? What do you want to talk about with them? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm reading a mental models book by Shane Parrish at the minute. Is this the um, the mental models volume one and volume two? Yeah, the volume one one. Do you have the physical book? No. No. Okay. They are like absolute gold dust in the UK. Uh I've been tra- I think they released they only released like such a small quantity. Um you just can't get your hands on a physical copy in the UK, which I'm desperate to. I, I was trying to get a copy of Charlie Munger's Almanac physically. Because mm. you because you can't get it as a Kindle version. I got a dodgy copy, but it, it isn't it's just not right. It's it's weird. Weirdly edited. It just it's just not right. So I was trying to get a real version and I thought I'd got one, a brand new one on eBay. I think it was 30 quid. I think it was 40 quid. thought, brand new one, 40 quid. Brilliant. That sounds perfect. Took about three weeks to come. It turned up and it was in Japanese. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And then I just went back and looked at the listing and it said, yeah, it's in Japanese. But I was just so excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just jumped straight in. I just, I just bought it and just clicked furiously and it, it turned out not to be the right one. So I still need to get that and... It's it's a treasure treasure trove of all kinds of ideas. Charlie Munger's almanac, and I think it's about eighty quid or something like that to to get a second hand copy of it. So it's it's expensive, and they'd make a killing if they turned it into a Kindle, into an ebook, and modernized it. Yeah, I mean Munger's one of the he's sort of one of the the forefront guys. He was one of the first guys to sort of openly discuss mental models and call, I think he maybe was even the first guy to call them mental models yeah. and just create the sort of the, the last work of thinking um, that I guess Farnham street and Shane Parrish has sort of taken on and they're sort of the, the Kings of it in the modern era. It's kind of a bit of a cliche term now, now though, isn't it? <sighs> this is what I hate about it because I love mental models. Like I absolutely love them. I think they're, they're so great and they're, they're so useful and so good to learn about, but People will take any idea and just be like, "Oh yeah, mental model," and it's like, <laughs> like yeah, you you're just driving into the dirt here. Like you're just overusing it, and it's just losing its meaning, which I hate. It's like you know, you see something you love just be over like a good song mm. that's just been overplayed, and now you hate it. And yeah, every time you hear mental models, you have to sort of like fact check: is that actually a mental model, or are they using it like in a total wrong sense? How how did you get into finding out about them? It's a very good question. I'm trying to think how how I did. I'm pretty sure yeah. it would have been Twitter. I think. I don't think it would have been Twitter for me. I was, I'm basically only really got into Twitter to start of the, like March this year, using it properly. I think I've so, I've read about. I must the have idea. read in a book. I've read about the idea before in books, definitely, but it never clicked. 
and I never really yeah. paid, I never really paid attention to it. And then when I got on Twitter, particularly this year, it seems like everybody's got mental model Twitter accounts and they're and they're everywhere. And then when I started visualizing people's quotes and things like that, I started to realize all these mental model Twitter accounts they're all over the place. Yeah. And I and I've never been a big reader of Shane Parrish and Farnham Street. Okay. I see I have. So when I that's how I got into it. I I, I don't know how I I must have read somewhere about um Farnham Street. Um do you know why it's called Farnham Street? No. Farnham Street is the I hope we get this right. I think that's the street where Berkshire Hathaway had their first ever he, um headquarters or the first ever um company building was on a place called Farnham Street. Oh, I see. And that's why it's I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that's the uh <laughs> That's the origin. So, because obviously, Parrish is a huge manga fan, loved, and that's where he got the mental models. And now he um, obviously talks about them. But no, I, I, I really like. He's got an interesting writing style, and some of his examples are a bit. They're okay. They could be better, but having that resource, that online, and obviously now the physical books of just like every mental model basically that exists, or at least eighty percent of them just online a couple of clicks you can read you can get the gist of it like it's a really 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 good resource every, every time that's, I, sorry go on that's, that's a little bit of where the sort of inspiration for my blog came from i thought well if i could bring if i could build the farnham street of behavioral biases and obviously like that's like the, that's the you know that's the moon ver, the moon vision it's not the the short-term goal or as i said you know i had no goal for it but um yeah if i could build this sort of database where if you want to know about effect an effect or you know, you've heard about something, you just go there and you can just read it, a couple of examples, try to channel as much Rory Sutherland sort of humor, not taking yourself too seriously in it. And yes, that's where I sort of got a little bit of uh, inspiration there from them. One thing I find really powerful about mental models is that nearly always when you read a mental model, you already, you're already aware of it. But as soon as you, you read it, it kind of crystallizes in your head and now you've got a name for the thing that you already knew. And I don't know what you call that feeling, but that feeling is so amazing where... I'm sure Eric Weinstein, because he talks about this a lot, where an idea can't be an idea until there's a name for it. Yeah. So like you can know these things to be true and you can know something and everyone can be like, oh yeah, 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 that's that thing. But until it's got a name, you can't like think about it more. And he talks about it with this idea well, he talks about it in the, in the more negative sense when the idea of mansplaining came about. Yeah. So as soon as they put a name to mansplaining, suddenly people started seeing mansplaining a lot more. And this is the effect of once you know the name for it, it's a bit like when doctors find out, or you know, tr- um, like doctors at university find out about a new disease and then suddenly think about all their friends and themselves and their parents all have that disease because they're like pigeonholed and looking out for this thing. Um, but yeah, he talks about basically, Eric Weinstein has got like loads of, you know, he talks quite a lot about Basically, something can't be an actual idea until it's got a name. Until you can be like, that is, you know, map versus terrain, or that is Occam's razor. Until you have these names for these mental models or whatever it is, it can't actually be a thing because nobody can sort of articulate it. And if you can't articulate it, you can't say it. And if you can't say it, you can't write it. And if you can't write it, you can't, like, internalize it. Or He's got a whole system of how it works. But, yeah, that's his sort of thinking on it. Yeah, that, yeah, I... I think I've read that before as well, but that's the thing where I enjoy picking up the book occasionally and just reading one, reading a new one and think, oh, I knew that, but I never knew it was called that. Or, you, you know, you, you kind of, 
aware of it somewhere and that's mm. the that's the beauty of learning new things I, I just love that feeling where you find something new and you learn about it and then suddenly you've got this new connection inside your brain this new synapse that's linked to another synapse and you're putting all these pieces together it's an amazing feeling yeah that, that's what i love about mental models um because once you learn these things like the next time you have a problem you're like oh, i've got like 12 different systems i can use or like i mean george george mcgill calls it um don't know if you follow george on twitter george yeah. great um loves um at george mac always writes about mental models um and stuff like that and he calls them apps he describes them as like apps on your phone mm. so you go into your phone and you got this problem and you just plug you just go okay let's try this app and it's like you know occam's razor or first principles or second order effects and it's like you just think about one one static problem put them through like 10 different mental models and see how, you know, see what sort of different ways, different solutions you can come out with at the end. I just love that sort of the way of, you almost can never get stuck again in the same way of like advertising where there's so many different methods of advertising you can try. You just try each of them, see which ones work. Mm. And it's just such a good way for like getting different outcomes from a problem. How do you record them? Do you save them somewhere? Uh, At the moment, I have, well, mostly in my brain, but I've got a big, I've got a notion. I'm trying to get on board with Tiago Forte's Building a Second Brain, where if you learn anything, if you've learned something, just put it in notion because you will forget it. Um, so I've got about 10 or so mental models in varying levels of detail written out, my understanding. Because then whenever I come across an example or think of a good example or something funny or whatever it is, yeah. I chuck it in there. The same way with my... Um, sort of behavior, like behavioral science stuff. If I come across a new effect or a new thing, learn about it, a new example, just chuck it in there. You'll, you'll come to it at some point. You might need it. Mm. Yeah, I, I've been trying to get on board with the whole building a second brain thing. And I've tweeted about it a bunch of times where I'm like, I've stopped taking notes because I'd never go back and review them. And that's my problem. I- no you've got to take notes so the way where i look at a lot of things and i only action ideas if they keep coming back up and i I often only do something with with an idea or a thing that i've learned when i've i've learned it twice or i've heard it three times and unless it's something super super important i don't write it down uh because the majority of the time even when i stick it in notion i never ever go back to it so I just there's a few like ways that. you can fix that. Um, Rome, you know, but Rome research, there's sort of yeah. note taking. I mean, they don't, they would hate it if I called them a note taking app. They're not a note taking app. <laughs> they're not, they're not taking app. Um, they've got a sort of like, I don't know if they call it space repetition. That's like the learning, you know, where if you space things out, yeah. you know, the normal graph will fall off of memories like this. But if you learn it again here and then again here, you'll always remember it. It's like a whole revision thing. Um, so they've got a thing where they can bring up old quotes periodically. But another good resource is um, Readwise. Yeah. If you put your notes in there, I know they do it for um, like book notes. So if you have a Kindle, you highlight on the Kindle, link it to your Readwise. Yeah, I use and Readwise. then every so often it'll bring up the old quotes that you've highlighted. Mm. So I imagine you can probably do something similar with your Notion notes or somehow link it to Readwise and they'll bring it. So like every day you can set it up that they'll bring you up, you know, 10 quotes or it can be 10 lessons and then you can just constantly 
but yeah, you're right. Like the last stage of learn of note taking is like so it's like capturing it, recording it, but it's reviewing it. It's like always making sure you go back because, as you say, there's no point. What difference is it forgetting it in your brain if you forget it in a note taking app? You've got to like go back and look at it. Mm. I think it's probably because I've never, I've never really found the note taking app that works for me, and I've never found a system that that works for me either. And I tried, I tried Rome Research. Didn't mind it. I, I loved it for a little while. And then I, I started slipping into the same things again. I was thinking more about the note-taking system than actually putting notes in it. And you get caught in this trap of where you d- you just become obsessed with, well, Rome's kind of nearly there, but what about this thing that's a bit like Rome that I think's got the final bit of my system that I need? And then I just, and this was the last time I used Rome, I just started going down this path of looking for the perfect app. And then I thought, well, I'll make my own app. And then be- before I know it, I, I'm not taking notes anymore. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're, you're so far away from what you were trying to achieve in the first place. I'm trying to make a system instead of make you know instead of taking notes instead of recording them. So I just backed yeah. back off from Rome. Although I did find, oh, I forgot the name of the other one. There's an open source version of Rome that's an app that you have on your right. computer uh, that I that I really liked and I actually preferred to Rome. But I kind of I kind of stopped using it and went back to Notion because the the thing that I like about Notion is that you can make your own systems inside it, yeah. and it, and it, it it kind of it works with my brain that way that I'm not stuck to their way of recording information. Yes. I can build my own system in there, and that's worked well for me for some stuff. But for the other stuff, I kind of always feel like. I guess the most notes I take is when I'm reading a book, and that's why I always read on Kindle. Yeah, you do the highlights. You have yeah. uh, Readwise. Yeah, I use Readwise. Yeah, you use this. Yeah, that's that's like a level one life hack, but like everyone should use it. <laughs> yeah, and I occasionally save tweets, but it's it's rare that I save tweets. It's... Yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big tweet saver. I rarely. That's the other. That's another interesting point. Is like you read a book, and you read an insight, and you're like, oh, that's great highlight save to read wise it's perfect i'm gonna read that later it's gonna be great but you read a great tweet and i'll just go no oh, that was good like next like for yeah. some reason like i still feel like i've taken enough ideas from twitter but for some reason and i imagine this is pretty representative of most people you don't take in ideas maybe it's because of the medium of where it's being delivered it's on twitter so it's a social media so you're not in sort of learning mode mm. but like yeah i don't know i just feel like maybe that's just a personal fault i need to take more Notes from Twitter. I'm not sure. I'm the same with Twitter, but the way I treat Twitter is that it is quite ephemeral, and I I know the ideas that people are going to talk about. They're going to talk about them again, and mm. I, I kind of let myself be brainwashed by them on Twitter, which is why I'm very careful who I follow. And okay, I, just this like slowly like information creep almost. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it sits in there somewhere and you don't even realize it. You only realize yeah. it. I realize it when I come to write tweets and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody said this the other day. <laughs> yeah. I, I do come across that issue all the time. I'm like, that's a great tweet. I was like, have I stolen that? Yeah. Like I'm always second guessing like that. That's a great thought I've had. Or did I read it on tour? Yeah. I, and <laughs> I, I often see other people who follow me write a thing about a thing that I've just written and it might not yeah. be it might not be the same thing I might have said yeah. something like oh I don't know you've got 10 minutes to make a difference and their tweet will be 
or mention 10 minutes but it won't be about the same thing and and yeah. you, you kind of get this whole weird thing where everybody yeah. is loosely connected to somebody else's idea yeah we're just ending up with just circles of tweets yeah yeah i mean yeah you can you can as you say your point about being um you got to be very intentional with who you follow like i've got a two tweet rule like two shit tweets and you're just you're out like oh jesus don't follow me then <laughs> no no i do follow you and you're, you're great yeah <laughs> i don't i just got i think you know there's so many people on social media and there's so many people saying good things that like i think your tolerance just has to be low or you'll just never get rid of people yeah like it doesn't like i don't mean like a bad tweet like you know everyone's got terrible tweets but i mean like something that just like Annoying. something wrong or just doesn't make sense or just or like spammy or annoying or whatever yeah because like as you say like whether you're intentional about it or not and whether you're aware of it or not you are absorbing information for every single time you go on Instagram, every single time you go on Twitter, every time you go on Facebook, no matter what social media you use and people use their phones for five, six, seven, eight hours a day. Every time you scroll, you are absorbing information, whether you know it, whether you like it or not. So you got, you do actually like, I know I'm sounding a bit the social dilemma or whatever. I've not even watched that, but like you do have to be super intentional with like who you follow and who you let take up so much space in your brain. Yeah, you do, and most people don't realize it either. I'm the, I'm a similar. I've got a similar rule, but for me, the rule is, if if something that they've said either I intensely disagree with, in in, in like I, I'm revulsed by what they say. I don't mean just disagree with them because I, okay. I I'm I'm capable of seeing something I I disagree with and then thinking about yeah. it and thinking, well, why do they hold that opinion? But I'm talking okay, so like, do you have an example? something that might offend me or um some, something that i just won't ever agree with something that i okay. feel personally is against my morals right I, i'm capable of moving on those as well but you know just something extreme something yeah. that i just yeah. don't, don't agree with like they, they, they might be saying something negative about women or something like that and i'm like i don't oh, i don't cool. yeah. i don't yeah, want yeah, that yeah. in my timeline oh absolutely yeah so it's either that kind of thing or it's just like negative tweets if, if somebody mm. if somebody starts going on kind of a, a rampage of moaning all the time or you know just having a negative energy about the tweets i unfollow them because the, the, there's enough of that around you all the time anyway and i don't go on twitter to experience that as well and so many people are like on Twitter moaning about elections or moaning about blah blah or politics or religion or whatever. It's like you, you get enough of that when you well when you could go to the pub, but you get <laughs> you get enough of that elsewhere with your friends or your yeah. mates or your family or whatever. Just don't use Twitter as well for it to be another, I know, I know. another yeah, place. Like, yeah, like the plague's taken over the entire city. We have one last safety bunker and you're coming in and you just spread it. Like have at least one space in your life where this isn't the only thing you're talking or thinking about. Yeah. Just let it be one positivity, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I try I try not to get sucked into the timeline too much as well. And people never believe it when I say it, but there's times where I go on Twitter, check my notifications and come straight off Twitter and just leave. And don't don't even look at the timeline because I know how addictive it is. And oh yeah, I mean, I was going to say that is a serious willpower move to be able to just <laughs> yeah in and out. That's yeah, they've got me. They've got me in their grasps. I do not have that willpower. But I've not got the willpower not to check Twitter, so it's not that much. Good. Ah, okay, yeah, they've still got you on the on the end of the hook. 
Yeah, and I don't have, I don't have notifications turned on either, so maybe that's no. Maybe that's one thing about it, but I tried having notifications on it. It's just a nightmare. I just I I don't I don't need to know when somebody tweets the instant that they tweet. I'll I'll mm. just I'll just go back and read their tweets later on. And if it's if it's somebody who who I'm interested in reading about who I haven't caught up for a while, I'll just go to their profile and just read their tweets. Mm. I don't I don't need to know them the second that they posted. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, like, yeah. I mean, there, there's this weird um, sort of revolution of people with, like, that seem to have um, tweet notifications on. And it's like every time like, Naval or James Clear or one of these, like, behemoths of Twitter will tweet and, like, every reply will be, like, just rewording what they've just tweeted. Or just be like, yeah, so true. And it's like, did you really need to tweet that? Or, like, you know, like, just meaningless adding nothing to the conversation just like yeah yeah oh it's draining a couple of i mean that's the other thing i'm really trying to get out of the habit of is if i'm on tour i try my absolute hardest to stay to the timeline and you see the juicy little number of comment replies and you're like oh wonder what everyone's saying and then you read it and it's just a cesspool and it always (laughs) is but every time you get sucked in and you just yeah yeah, and you you find yourself quite enjoying the drama of it as well. <laughs> you do uh, sometimes, yeah, and you're like, oh, look. And then it's like, so surely somebody must have pointed like this flaw out. And then you find it, and you're like, okay, that's quite satisfying. And you're like, oh, this person said this. And then they've got a thousand replies to that one. It's like, oh, I wonder what the beef under this one is. And you just end up, and it always ends up with just like some person ridiculously on the left fighting some person ridiculously on the right. And you're like, oh, I don't know, like back out of that. <laughs> like that that's when you reach the end of the thread is when it's just two people who couldn't be more polarizing their views, shouting their own views at to the other person who's not listening, and you're just like, okay, right. Well, that's just life, isn't it? It's twist, twist. Well, no, that's the thing. It's not life. It's only on Twitter. Like you, the <laughs> way people it. act. This is what always baffles me as well. Is I always try to act on Twitter like I would in person. You know, I talk because so many for some reason people seem to think if there's a little circle picture in the circle and a name that doesn't mean it's another human at the end of the Twitter handle, but it is like just you know, talk to people like you wouldn't in person. Yeah. I, I agree. So much. Simple Twitter life hack. <laughs> yeah. So, so many people don't do that. And yeah, people, people think that because they've got 60,000 followers, they're somehow better than them as well. Mm. And it's pretty easy to build 60,000 followers. If you really want to do it, uh, it takes time. Might take you a couple of years, might take you a year, but it's possible. And th- there isn't, anything that makes somebody better with 60,000, 200,000 no, followers than no. the person with five followers. Uh, and I, I think Twitter can be an extreme of that sometimes. People call those, those people who reply to tweets, people call those reply guys. <laughs> I like that, yeah. It's it's a tactic. It's a, it's a Twitter growth tactic. Don't even get me talking about Twitter growth, but it, it's, a, it's a growth tactic to be the first person to put the reply on somebody's big tweet because then you basically you get the advantage of their their audience clicking on it and seeing the replies and you're always first so mm, okay that's why they rush in there to put a really intelligent reply on but usually it is just rewording the tweet and they're not intelligent at all I, reply, i've I got into the habit of pretty much just ignoring people who reply to me like that because <laughs> what what do you say you can't say yeah. anything 100% yep. that's all like, you can yeah, say of course I agree with you because you just said what I said <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't say anything other than yes <laughs> so, 
So you should just reword their tweet and just like see how long it can, you can just keep rewording the same original tweet. Oh, that's a great idea. I'm I'm gonna do that. If you find if you find a, a, a particularly um, pesty reply guy, I love that reply guy. It's great. I'm, I'm definitely gonna try that. In fact, I might go on an aval tweet later on and reply to yeah. a reply guy and just keep. <laughs> Keep going. If I, I'm going to now look out, and if I see you, I'm going to join in, and we're just going <laughs> to we're just going <laughs> to ruin Naval threads with just rewords. I might chuck it in like um, like an anagram finder or like a random word order generator, and just like Yoda the whole thing. <laughs> look up um, oh what what is the word spinning word spinning? If you look up a is that the one look up a word spinner um that. That's basically a search engine optimization tactic where if you don't want to write content, you just, uh, it's, it's also kind of like a copying tactic. You take somebody's yeah. content, like 200 mm-hmm. words, put it through a word spinner and it rewords the words and uses different adjectives and things like oh, that. Come on. Like, what was that in high school when I was writing pointless essays for English? Is that <laughs> a thesaurus? It, it's, it's rubbish, I honestly. needed that. It, unless, you, unless you pay for a good one. It's rubbish. It's not even English oh, yeah. that comes out of the other end. <laughs> oh, I, I can imagine it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I like the idea that the um, this is the secret of the the twenty nine ninety nine um, Twitter growth ebooks was just just reply to James Clear in the first minute. Done. Yeah. <laughs> See right. when Deval tweets. Just reply like twenty nine twenty nine pounds. Thank you very much. I've I've bought a few of them and they all say that. Really? Yeah. There's- because when I started messing around with Twitter in February, I was like, I don't really know how to get good at Twitter. So I thought I'd buy a few of the ones that I'd seen. Mm-hmm. And all of the advice is tweet more regularly, reply regularly to people, and and reply to people who have got big followings. So Naval, James Clear, etc. Somewhat reasonable. Uh, and honestly, that's pretty much it. The, it's It's just... Tweet more, reply more, but tweet good tweets. Don't just tweet about football or whatever. Keep keep to a particular topic. So just talk about a particular topic all the time. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they're not wrong. That seems to be pretty much the general consensus. consensus. And the other secret that none of them tell you is something called engagement groups, and that's the thing that most of them are using, and that's how they grow very quickly. So an engagement. Yeah, this is the the right. Everyone like my everyone like and retweet my tweet the second I tweet it, and then it. Yeah. It's probably an algorithm hack that probably works quite well, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. Since they changed the algorithm about two months ago, they they started heavily weighting tweets that got interacted with quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Engagement groups were around before that, but it seems to, and I've noticed this as well. If you get a tweet that gets engaged with instantly. So it gets five likes and a retweet or something like that instantly. It puts it to the top of people's timelines because it isn't chronological anymore. So mm. it, it boosts the tweet in and of itself if you get a couple of hits on it straight away. So that's what engagement groups are really designed to do. They're just a couple of people who reply to everybody's tweets who are part of their group and like them and retweet them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I don't know. I, I I don't think early success is any any indicator of a good tweet at all. Like no. I mean, I guess they got to they got to know an algorithm some way, but 
Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, because there is sometimes you find yourself and you're like, I've not heard from X person in a while. You go into the profile. I wonder if they're, uh, they've not been tweeting and then they, they have and you're just not seeing it. Yeah. Well, this this is one of the downsides of Twitter. It's the curse curse of the new all the time. And and it's the downside of a lot of stuff. I, I wrote a little, a little piece about it on my website actually last time because I was just... I was checking my RSS reader because I'm one of those people who still use an RSS reader. Yeah, so, that's I'm a no code guy, so you're you're straight over my head. It's just basically it means you could you pump in a few blogs and then you get a list of blog posts from the various blogs that you uh, that you enjoy reading. It's not a technical thing. If okay. you just if you just Google RSS reader, all you do is copy and paste a blog link into it, and it, it gives you a feed of all the blogs that you want to read. Okay. So it's like okay. a curated list of blog posts that you want to read. So I've got an RSS reader and I found myself going on there and I've not been on it for a couple of days and Seth Godin writes every day and mm-hmm. I, I usually read his blog posts and I found myself logging in and it didn't update and the latest uh, blog that he'd written was about seven days or something when I opened it. So it said seven days ago at the top of it. Mm-hmm. And I found myself wanting to read the latest. And I thought, mm-hmm. why? Why do I want to read the latest? What is different? Because Seth Godin's blogs are pretty timeless. They're never based on topical stuff or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I just caught myself thinking, why do I want to read the latest one? Why is that of more value than the one from seven days ago? And why is that of more value than one that he wrote a year ago? And then I just, I was just thinking, that's the curse of Twitter that you're all yeah and, and a lot of other things it you want mm-hmm. the latest all the time you want to see new all the time even though you don't need to see it yeah it's that shiny object syndrome that they've sort of um like built into all of us where we now just think the newest thing is the best without any you know there's no consideration like of course the newest iphone is the best it's yeah. Of course, the newest, whatever is the best. Of course, you need, yeah, just this shiny object syndrome and like, you know, infinite repla- replaceability. Like no matter how, you know, if your iPhone's still working, that doesn't matter. You need the new one. And it's just like, I think because there's been such a slow in technological growth, like we've not had any real big technological increases in the last five years compared to the five years before that or the last 10 years compared to the 10 years before that, like, the sort of technology boom was like really quick and now it's just absolutely stunted. Mm. And now it's like different uses of the same technology. And so the newest thing maybe isn't always the, or maybe, okay, fine. I'm sure it's not worse, but it's not like meaningfully better than whatever it's replacing. But we've, we're so far into this like consumerism and obviously with social media as well, the sort of this new is better and the shiny object syndrome where no matter what that comes out, we always think we must have this new thing when we just absolutely don't. Yeah, uh, and you're right, we're all conditioned to experience it. That's a a kind of a terrible, miserable ending, but we've gone for (laughs) an hour and 14, and I was thinking, uh, I'm going to cut it off at 45 minutes, but there wasn't a right time. I'm going to cut it off an hour, but there wasn't a right time, and I'm putting my foot down now. I've I've just kept rambling, but I've I've enjoyed this um, tremendously. It's been been fantastic. I've enjoyed it too as well. Do you want to say anything... At the end, I mean, off? we didn't really, we didn't really touch on any of the topics we planned to, but I mean, hopefully, it was uh, <laughs> enjoyable enough. Yeah, it was, it was good fun. Let's let's do it again sometime. 
Yep, absolutely. Next time you've got um, you've got a, a spare slot you're needing to fill, just um, let me know. I'll be. We can actually talk about um, whatever we plan to talk about this time. We can <laughs> we'll stay be. a little bit more um, on topic. Speak to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon.